This is the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, for Thursday, June 15th, 2023. Text scams are on the rise as the bad guys try to engage you via text messaging. We'll tell you what to look out for. Malware has been found in several Minecraft mods, those add-ons and plugins that are popular with lots of Minecrafters. And a look at some of the new security and privacy features included in Apple's newest operating system announcements. Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac Podcast, veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern, and Intego's chief security analyst, Josh Long. Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm doing just fine. We're one week out from the WWDC. Have you ordered anything new yet? No, I don't particularly need new hardware at this point in time. I like some of the the new hardware that came out with, but, you know, don't really have a need for it right now. So you have some news you want to mention. You're very happy that your 20th century iMac will be able to run (laughs) macOS Sonoma. Well, okay, not quite 20th century, but yes, I have a mid-2007 iMac that I've upgraded several times to the latest version of macOS, even though Apple has not supported it for a very long time at this point. The Open Core Legacy Patcher is developed by a, a small team of independent researchers, people who just like tinkering with the operating system and getting it working on older hardware. And this has become sort of a community of people who like running old hardware or don't have the money, whatever other reason they don't want to upgrade to the latest hardware just to run the latest operating system. I'm very happy about this, that this project exists because... It means that if you don't have the money to buy new hardware, you still have the option to upgrade to the operating system that's getting all of the security updates that Apple's releasing. As we've talked about many times, if you're running even one version behind on macOS, even though Apple technically is still releasing patches for it, they're not patching every vulnerability. So uh, this is a good thing. Now, macOS Sonoma, there's no support for it yet. Obviously, the developer beta just came out. And so the Open Core Legacy Patcher team is working on bringing macOS Sonoma compatibility. They're hoping that it'll be within six-ish months, but it remains to be seen exactly when it will be supported. So it probably won't be in time for the launch of Sonoma. Well, they kind of thought that last year too, though. And it really within, I think, a few weeks of macOS Ventura coming out, they did support it pretty quickly. Is this community also people who like to run old Macs just for the sake of running old Macs? Like people buy old cars and fix them up? I think so. I think there's definitely an element of that. Yeah. Mr. Macintosh, somebody who has a, a popular YouTube account and he talks about all of these, this like old hard hardware. He gets really excited about this. He releases these long videos talking about open core legacy patcher and all the new tweaks and things that that come out in each new version of it. There's definitely a big community for it. That worked out really well for him that his name is Macintosh and he's into (laughs) Mac computers. Okay. We want to talk about text scams and text scams cost US consumers about $330 million in 2022. Now, when Josh said to me before the show at $330 million, I said, well, that's not a lot. That's like $1 per person. But 
if you're the one who got hit for $330 million, that's a lot of money. Somewhere in between these text scams that are like, you get a text message, call this number, this is your bank's fraud department, or click here to pay this invoice, but it's not a real invoice or something like that. Right. And there's a ton of these text scams. Some of them uh, come from a phone number. Some may appear to come from an email address. But regardless, they're tricking people, they're deceiving people into thinking that they need to either call a number that's in the message or click a link that's in the message. And then they're going to be defrauded if they actually follow through with that and believe this thing that they're being told. This is becoming a bigger problem. There was actually a talk at RSA conference about this, about how the the old you know SMS scams are becoming a bigger deal. And this is part of why I think this is so worth discussing because yes, $330 million in the US, it's not a lot if, if you average it out per person, but this is more than double than 2021 reported losses, which just a year before, and nearly five times they say what people reported in 2019. So this is becoming a much bigger problem. It seems like it's snowballing in that direction. I would expect that we're going to see a lot more attacks like this going Going forward, as long as it continues to be successful and the carriers are not actually blocking these messages before they get to people's devices, it could continue to become a bigger problem. In some ways, this sort of attack is quite simple. These are analog attacks in the sense that it's not software getting into your device. It's just someone sending you a link and tricking you into clicking it. And we talked about fake invoice scams recently. I'll link in the show notes to an article we have on the Intico Mac Security blog. All of these sort of social engineering scams are far more efficient than anything else, far more efficient than ransomware, right? Well, ransomware attacks probably more often affect businesses and usually Windows using businesses. We haven't seen a ton of ransomware on the Mac recently, but it is something that people still need to be aware of and make sure that they're backing things up properly using Time Machine or something like Intego Personal Backup. It's good to keep your data backed up just in case one of these ransomware type attacks happens. Either way, both of them are, are pretty serious problems, right? Because you could either lose your data or you could lose money. And those are things that you don't want to lose. Okay, the next story is something that we kind of debated whether we wanted to talk about it. And I don't really care about it, but you want to mention it. And it's something along the lines of they faked the moon landing. Okay, well, I think what you're talking about here is the conspiracy theory that Apple is somehow working with a government entity to hack the Kremlin. The Russian FSB put out some report claiming that Apple was directly working with the U.S. government to hack them, which on its face is just completely ridiculous. Remember, in 2014... Apple completely refused to create a backdoor for the FBI to get into the San Bernardino shooter's phone. This was a big deal, a big case. It went to court. Apple absolutely refused. They won't even cooperate with the U.S. government <laughs> on local terrorism. And so it's really completely implausible that Apple would have worked on some hacking operation against Russia. Well, that's what they want you to believe. Mm, yes, of course. <laughs> and I only mention that aspect of it. I don't really care as much about the politics of this. Just it's worth mentioning because some of these headlines out there are making the same claim. And well, you know, that's really, really implausible. 
However, there are some technical aspects of this. Kaspersky, which is an antivirus firm that is that originates in Russia, they've done some internal research and they found that some of their employees' phones appear to have been hacked. And so, so at least from the technical side of things, it looks like this is a, a real attack. Kaspersky employees apparently had iPhones that were hacked and they're calling this triangulation malware. And so these were zero click or clickless iOS exploits that were used to infect these devices. Evidently, these devices did not have any sort of recurring infection mechanism, meaning it wasn't persistent, right? So if you shut off your phone and turn it back on, it would completely clear out the infection because it only lived in memory. However, they also found evidence that many of these phones that had been infected at some point got reinfected at some point after they rebooted. They say that iOS 15.7 is the most recent version of iOS that is known to have been infected. Now, notably, 15.7 came out at the same time as iOS 16. And so if you've been running iOS 16, presumably that means that you couldn't be infected with this particular malware or, or infected through this clickless exploit. They also said that they found evidence that this campaign had been ongoing since at least 2019. So another interesting point that if you care about the political aspect of this, this is long predates the Russia-Ukraine conflict. And they say that as of June 2023, the attack is ongoing, which is interesting. So I guess the takeaway there is if you still have devices that are on iOS 15 point anything, don't do that, <laughs> you know, upgrade to iOS 16 and stay on the latest version of iOS 16. If you haven't already done so, upgrade your device now. If you have a device that's so old, it can't be upgraded to iOS 16, get a newer device. Okay, we want to talk about some Minecraft mods that were found infected with the Fracturizer malware. Now, mods are, I guess this only works on PCs, right? Or Macs, not on like game consoles where the, the system is locked down. These are kind of like browser extensions that you can add to games to be able to do things which may be cheating or it may give you ability to do other things, right? Yeah, they're not necessarily always giving you some advantage over other players, but sometimes game mods give you, for example, like different worlds to explore maybe a different method or different way of playing the game. In Minecraft, there's tons of mods. You can have Minecraft worlds that are recreated to look like Pokemon worlds or things like that. There's all kinds of crazy mods out there. We've talked about this kind of story before on the podcast, but we thought it was worth mentioning again. If you have kids who are playing Minecraft a lot, they may be downloading these kind of mods. And some of these mods contain malware, unfortunately. This Fracturizer malware in particular is affecting Windows and Linux systems. As of right now, there's not any known macOS variant of it, but the fact that it can run on Linux systems should be a really big red flag because Linux and macOS, in terms of their underpinnings, are very similar. And so it would not be difficult to port this type of malware to Mac. Okay, very quickly, we want to mention a Washington Post article which resonated with me when I saw it. 5G was an overhyped technology bust. Let's learn our lesson. I recall during lockdown when Apple presented the iPhone 12 with 5G that we had a discussion and I was saying, what's the point? This isn't going to roll out the way the companies say. It's not going to be useful for anyone. And this Washington Post article points out 
Not only was I right, of course, but sometimes 5G can be slower than 4G and it can use more battery on your phone. And I think the takeaway from this article is, you know, tech companies overhype things constantly. Every Apple product is the most magical ever. I like to watch Apple's keynotes and drink every time they use the word magical. And I rarely make it to the end because they use that word so many times. Don't believe any of this stuff when they say that it's going to change your life. I remember they were talking about you could download a movie in seconds with 5G. If you're in exactly the right position and the wind is the right direction and all that sort of, but why do you even care? So just kind of a, a warning to say that technology is overhyped and, you know, don't believe everything. Finally, the Brave browser, which Josh likes to use, has a new forgetful browsing feature. Forgetful browsing, that's a nice name. That would be like, I don't know, a Victorian novel, forgetful browsing. So this is a bit different from what we talked about last week, where Safari is getting this new privacy feature where when you walk away from your computer for a while, the windows will lock, right? Your private browsing windows are, are not going to be visible to somebody who walks by your computer. They're calling this forgetful browsing. And if you are somebody who may have, let's say, an adversary in your home, so maybe you have an abusive spouse, for example, that's the scenario that they frequently give in their own write-up of this feature, you may want to make sure that somebody coming along later is not going to be able to see what sites you've been browsing if those sites may put you in danger. So there's this new technology that they're building into Brave. They're encouraging any websites that may be used by somebody in these kind of dangerous situations to opt into this feature where the browser itself will actually forget your browsing session and not just remove it from history, but also completely remove any evidence that you've been to this site. There is a caveat here, of course, if somebody has a keystroke logger or something like that running on your system or software that constantly is taking screenshots, these are domestic spyware, you might call them, that doesn't stop those kind of methods from discovering where you've been. But at the very least, it's good they're coming up with new ways to try to protect users when they're browsing to sites who may be in a dangerous situation. Okay, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk about new security and privacy features in Apple's forthcoming operating systems. Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Intego's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection. Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security. Personal Backup, to keep your important files safe from ransomware and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Ventura and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. Download the free trial of Mac Premium Bundle X9 from Intego.com today. When you're ready to buy, Intego Mac Podcast listeners can get a special discount by using the link in this episode's show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And click on this episode to find the special discount link exclusively for Indigo Mac Podcast listeners. Indigo, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users. Made by the Mac security experts. OK, 
Okay, so last week we talked about the main features that are in macOS Sonoma, iOS 17, iPadOS 17, etc., etc. This week we want to talk about security and privacy features, but first, Josh wants to talk about all the hardware that is banned from upgrading to Apple's new operating systems. We should revolt against this banning hardware, shouldn't we, Josh? (laughs) Well, okay. I know banned is kind of a a clickbaity way of talking about this, but every year Apple will drop some hardware from being able to upgrade to the latest operating system. Apple is dropping a few models of Macs and a few models of iPad as well. So to make this as simple as possible, if you have an iMac a MacBook or a MacBook Pro that was first sold in 2017, then you will no longer be able to upgrade to the latest version of Mac OS. Also, if you have an iPhone 8, 8 Plus, or 10, you won't be able to upgrade to iOS 17. And if you have a fifth-gen iPad or a first-gen iPad Pro, you won't be able to upgrade to iPadOS 17. So let's talk about these new security and privacy features. And most of these features apply to all the operating systems. Apple tends to specify certain features for each operating system when they do the presentation, but it's fair to assume that they will all apply to all operating systems unless there's a hardware or specific thing like Face ID on the iPhone or something like that. So Safari is getting some updates. One of the ones that I really like, it's partly security and privacy, but it's more usability is what's called Safari Profiles. And you can set up a profile, for example, for work, for a personal, for play, or I could set up a podcasting profile, right? In which case, Safari would only show me the tabs that I need to access by default, for our podcast. It would only load the extensions I want. I could connect this to my podcasting focus, which I turn on to not get notifications, except from people with whom I create podcasts. So if you send me a text message, I want to see it when we're recording a podcast. And this can be really practical. I think this is probably something not too many people are going to use, but those who will use it will leverage this to simplify their lives. Apple really talks about this as being a feature that can, for example, separate your work and private life. But you you may have maybe multiple accounts. Sometimes for some people, you can kind of just use private browsing as sort of a, a way to do this currently. So you could have, for example, let's say your private life in a regular tab and your work life in private browsing tabs. That's one way to do this. And Safari is really the only browser that is practical for using that way just because when you quit Safari and reopen it, it will restore your private browsing tabs, whereas pretty much all the other browsers don't do that. However, if you have, let's say, more than one account, maybe you have multiple people who are all sharing the same Mac OS login, and they all have different accounts, maybe bank accounts or something like that. Just having the regular non-private browsing and private browsing tabs is not really sufficient for everybody who sits down at that and uses that computer. If you want to have these separate profiles, this gives you a lot more flexibility. You no longer have to use private browsing to keep your work and, and private life separate. And this just makes a lot of sense for a lot of reasons. Do you use tab groups? I do in Microsoft Edge, actually. I, I use tab groups. I use tab groups in Safari, and I have one for Intego, for example, for all of the web pages that we use to prepare the podcast. I have another one for my business, so my accounting and my bank accounts, and I have a couple of others for different things I do, one for all my podcasts. I find it really practical because 
the tabs are all there on all my devices and I can open them. And I like the idea of the profiles, which could be maybe on the weekend, I'll just turn off all that stuff. And my favorites won't be for the Intego blog or for our podcast hosting company, but it'll just be the things that I want to check out on the weekend. Okay, so you mentioned private browsing a lot. In fact, you said the term private browsing about seven times. This is for SEO purposes, by the way, in our <laughs> transcript of the podcast. Apple is making an improvement to private browsing, which is really useful. And as I mentioned last week, it's kind of porn mode. Your private browsing windows and tabs, when you step away from your Mac more than a certain amount of time, they're locked so no one can see what you're viewing. And in order to access them, you have to authenticate with a password, touch ID, or face ID. Of course, it can be used for other things as well. Of course, of course. <laughs> like your banking, for yeah. for example. Yeah, I would really recommend that you lock your whole workstation, meaning go to the login screen where it requires typing in a password or using Touch ID or whatever to get back into your Mac rather than just having this private browsing. Sorry, I said it again. This private browsing window lock automatically. But if you are in a shared situation like you described before, each person's got some private browsing windows. When they step away, it's locked. So, you know, no one will see your bank account or whatever websites you're visiting. It's an improvement. Right. And as with all of these features, it's to improve your privacy, right? And so, although most of the time, I think we're thinking about privacy from the perspective of, you know, bad guys getting my data. There are scenarios where somebody in your own home might be adversarial toward you or at, at your place of business too. You might use a Mac at work. Keeping those private browsing windows private in, in a workplace might make sense in some scenarios as well. There's an improvement to passwords and pass keys. So we've talked about pass keys in the past and they're not really widely used yet, but they will be. But there is a possibility in iCloud Keychain to create groups of people to share passwords with. Now, imagine you want to share your Netflix password with your spouse, right? You can just put it into the keychain so wherever they are, they can access it. Or imagine you or I, we have certain services we access in order to produce this podcast. We could make a group and put all the, the logins and passwords into that group. This is really great for businesses because whenever an employee is no longer with the business, you can remove them and they no longer have access. Of course, they may have saved the password someplace else. But if someone has to update the password, everyone in the group gets that update. Okay, there's an improvement to two-factor authentication. Now, a couple of years ago, Apple implemented a system where when you get a six-digit code via a text message, it autofills in Safari on a Mac, on an iPhone, on an iPad. But some websites send these by email. And so in the future, Safari will be able to autofill the code sent by email. Now, they say that in messages, these text messages will automatically be deleted after the codes have been filled in. And I really like this because it's a hassle to delete text messages and messages. And I don't like to leave all those messages in my messages. I don't think they're going to automatically delete the emails yet, but this will make these six-digit two-factor authentication codes, which Josh is going to say are less secure than the other kind, a little bit easier to deal with. I think it's important to note that Apple shows that this is a feature in Apple Mail. So when you if you if you actually have your email set up in Apple Mail, that's how this is going to work. Apple's technologies are working on device behind the scenes to identify that this particular site that you're trying to log into just sent you a code. So it's important to recognize that you have to be using Safari and you have to be using Apple Mail in order for this feature to work properly. Okay, improvement to lockdown mode where it's going to be hardened even more. I don't have too many details about this, but Josh, who likes to use lockdown mode, is going to be very happy. 
they didn't really s- announce a lot about what exactly is going to be added to lockdown mode in the new operating systems. These are basically things that happen mostly behind the scenes. Sometimes they put up extra dialogue boxes that can be really annoying. Like every single time you update your operating system, they'll say, for example, lockdown mode is turned on for name of app. Certain experiences and features may not function as expected, yada, yada, yada. There's a lot of functionality that just is disabled by default, including even just animated GIF images that don't animate by default when they're sent to you via iMessage. But there are technical reasons why Apple is disabling these specific functionalities and features. It's because they have been used for zero-click exploits in the past, and so it's protecting you from those kind of attacks. Okay, there's a lot of other features. The last one I want to talk about is actually something I find practical. If you are a family where multiple people have air tags, let's say on your keys or your car keys or something like that, you may have discovered that you get an alert saying air tag found moving with you when you're with your spouse, for example, because, well, you've been with them for a while and they're close to you and maybe the air tag is actually in your pocket tracking you or something. And Obviously, it's not. It's just if there's two people who have AirTags and they're together often, this creates a problem. So you can share AirTags. Let's say you share a bicycle and you want to put an AirTag under the seat of the bicycle. You want to both be able to track that bicycle from your iPhones and you'll be able to share that AirTag so you can both do that. You could share car keys, although... Two people, they each have car keys. You could share each other's car keys in case you want, but that's not quite as practical. It's more for the item where there's one AirTag that multiple people use. Now, I would suggest putting an AirTag somewhere in your car to track your car if it gets stolen. And this way, neither of the people driving the car will get the alert there's an AirTag found moving with you and then try to find where it is. Exactly. Yeah. I, I think this is a really great use case, actually, for AirTag, because you want to know if your car gets stolen where it is. And this is the cheapest way to do that, really. Okay. Lots more features for security and privacy in macOS Sonoma, iOS 17, and iPadOS 17. I'll link to an article on the Mac Security blog. Until next week, Josh, stay secure and stay locked down. All right. Stay secure. Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every weekly episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, intego.com.